0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. in just a moment, we'll read the first 13 verses of Hebrews chapter four. We're in a series entitled White Knuckled Faith. By now, if you've been here for several weeks, you know that the writer of Hebrews was writing for the sole purpose of convincing some Jewish Christians not to drift from their faith. And not only was he trying to get them not to drift from their faith, but he was also trying to get them not to drift away from God's best for them. It is a temptation that is universal, both in its scope of how many people are tempted by this, that is drifting away, and also it's universal in the scope of the time. It was true for the first century readers of this letter, it's true for us today. We live in a world where the temptation to drift away from faith, Christian faith, is greater than it has ever been in my lifetime. And the temptation, even if we don't drift away from Christian faith per se, the temptation to drift away from God's best plan for you and me, the temptation to do that is greater than it's ever been. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying to his readers is so relevant for us in our day. In chapters 3 and 4, the writer talks about something called the rest, and he goes back in the history of the nation of Israel to the time right after the Israelites were freed from Egyptian slavery in in the book of Exodus. And they come out of Egypt, they cross the, the, the sea, and they go out for 40 years into the desert of Sinai, the Arabian desert, where they wander, and during that time, there were people who continuously disobeyed God. They continuously distrusted God's future for them. In spite of the fact that they had seen all the plagues God exercised on the people in Egypt, He saw the parting of the sea so the Israelites could cross over. He saw them; he, They saw Him provide manna in the desert, quail to eat, uh, water from a rock, and yet in spite of all those things... They just couldn't seem to trust God for their future. Uh, in fact, they just outright rebelled against Him. And as a result, God pronounced that all the people who disobeyed Him during that time would die before they reached the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so out of 600,000 people who came out of Egypt, two men and their families were the only ones to reach the promised land, the families of Joshua and Caleb. Caleb. Absolutely amazing. That was not God's plan for them. God had something better in store. God has something better in store for you than what you're experiencing right now. Some of you are saying, well, thank God for that, because I'm needing something better than what I'm experiencing right now. God has something better. The temptation, however, for you and me is to check out of the race, to check out on God before God gives us that ultimate goal. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is all about this. This is a message entitled, The the Rest is Yet to Come. Verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The writer is writing to Jewish Christians, encouraging them to grip their faith with a white-knuckled grip and never, ever let that faith go. He's encouraging them to latch on with a death grip to God's best for them, and never, ever let it go. But they're being tempted to lighten up on their grip. They're being tempted to drift away from God's best. There are a lot of reasons why that these people are drifting away. There are many reasons why people are tempted to drift away in our day. Some were were drifting away because they were disappointed. Disappointed with God. I heard uh, a minister this week speaking at a service, and he'd been in ministry for 45 years, and he said, never, ever have I ever been disappointed with God. And uh, I appreciate that fact in him. I can't say that same thing. I love the Lord, and he is my Lord and Savior, But I can't say that I've never been disappointed by him. Not that he made a mistake. It's just that I had certain expectations, evidently wrong expectations, that I thought he would meet and he didn't. And yeah, I was disappointed. There are other times when people drift away, not because they're disappointed by God, because they're disappointed by God's people. God's people don't act like God a lot. Well, they think they're God, but they don't act like God a lot. And so there will be times when we will disappoint other folks. We will offend people. We will, we will say and do things that cause people to stop and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that's what Jesus followers are like, I don't want any part of that. And they drift away because of disappointment. There are other people who drift away because... Uh, and they don't even realize they drift away. But what they do is they take a non-essential. In the Hebrews case, in chapter 1 it was angels. They'll take a non-essential and wretch and it from the uh, periphery of non-essentials and they'll put it front and center and say, Okay, this that you deem to be a non-essential is really essential and you have to believe what we believe on this in order to be a really good Christian or even to be a Christian. When in reality, if I take a non-essential and I make it essential... And I try to get you to follow my, what I deem to be essential. What I have done, not what you have done, but what I have done is taken a step away from simple Christian faith. The writer of Hebrews in chapter one said, if you're following angels, that's a non-essential. You've made it front and center. That's drifting away. Jesus is better than angels. Other people drift away because of hero worship. They uh, uh, worship somebody. Last week we talked about uh, a hero, and hero worship means that your, your thoughts, you've fixed your thoughts upon someone or something. And whatever it is that we fix our thoughts upon... And, and that makes up the majority of our thoughts, that person or thing becomes the hero we worship. For the Hebrews, the hero was Moses. That's a good guy. He's a good guy. A good person to emulate, certainly. But he's not a good person to, uh, to be the object of our worship. We always, when we worship something, a hero worship, that hero is always going to be a good person. But the writer of Hebrews says sometimes we can worship something or someone else to such an extent that Jesus takes a back burner seat in our life. And when we do that, we have taken a step away from Christ and a step toward drifting. Hero worship. Some people, some people in the, uh, among the congregation at Hebrews were drifting away because they no longer had confidence that Jesus could sympathize with their temptations and their struggles. And so the writer of Hebrews tells him, he says, we have now a high priest who in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a a Christ, a Messiah, who's better than angels, better than Moses, and who has even suffered. He came here in order to suffer as we suffer, to live life as we experience life. And so don't drift away. What I'd like to do this morning is is just uh, uh, take a transitional stop and reflect on four principles that the writer of Hebrews gives his readers that we can latch on to that will help keep us from drifting from God's best. Okay? I want to give you four principles from this passage that will help us To not drift from Christian faith and to not drift from that which is God's best. Okay, here's principle number one. First of all, remember that God has a plan for your life. Now, this plan for your life includes going to heaven after you die. Now, we know that. When I was eight years old and I came to receive Christ as my Savior, the reason... I invited Christ into my life was so that I could go to heaven when I die. No doubt about it. But what I later learned and wish I had known all along is this. God's plan not only, God's plan for you not only includes heaven when you die, but it also includes blessings while you're here. It includes some great times while you are here. You see, God has a rest for you. When, when the children of Israel were going through the, the uh, desert for 40 years, uh, it wasn't God's plan, plan A, for them to go through the desert. He wanted them to go a short route right on up into the promised land, and he wanted all of them to experience it in their lifetimes. That was his plan A. God has a plan for you to experience here in your earthly life, and it's a good plan. It's not a plan without struggle, and it's not a plan without crisis, and it's not a plan without trial, and it's not a plan without tears. But it is a plan where the joys outweigh all of the tears and all of the crises. But here's the issue. So many of us are like the children of Israel in Exodus and in Numbers of the Old Testament. We just don't trust God with our future. We trust Him to save us, to give us that that uh, moment of conversion experience that gives us our ticket to heaven, but we don't so much trust Him for our future, and we wonder if there really is something better for us here, we question it. In chapters 3 and 4, you'll see this word rest over and over again. And the writer uses it in two ways. In, in, in one sense, he, he talks about times of resting, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But the, the, the main meaning of the term rest in these two chapters has to do with reaching God's goal. The promised land was God's goal for the Israelites, but the majority of them never, ever realized God's goal because they didn't trust Him with their future. My question for you and me is this. Do we trust God with our future? Are we willing to hang in there with him all the way to the promised land? Or are we going to start grumbling over not enough of this and not enough of that and not moving fast enough on the other that we back out of God's plan? Check out. Can you imagine running a relay race? Being in totally good shape, it's not that you're going to check out because you're uh, out of shape, but you're totally in shape for it, and you get running this race, and let's say it's a six-mile race, and you're you're running through mile number one, two, three, four. You're running through mile number five, and you get beyond mile number five, and you say, I'm going to quit. And you check out. What a disappointment that would be. These people were so close to God's goal, but they checked out. And by checking out, they missed out totally on everything that God had planned for them. Remember, God has a plan that is both heavenly, but also here and now. It's there and then, but it's also here and now. God wants to do something in your life while you're here. We're not just looking at the clock, sitting around, waiting for the preaching to get done and Jesus to come get us and go to heaven. There's something God wants to do in you now, in this life. And you're headed toward that goal. Don't stop short of it. He says this also, number two, not only remember God's plan, but number two, heed the warnings against drifting away. In the letter of Hebrews, there are five places where the writer just stops and he gives a warning. There are five places and so far, we have seen two of those places. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he, he stopped the people and he said, Listen, I warn you to pay attention to what God is saying to you. I warn you to pay attention to what I'm saying to you, because what I'm saying is inspired of God. He says, he says this, verse 1, he says, We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? It's the first warning. And then there was a second warning that's in uh, chapter 4. In chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 and reading through verse 2, he says, Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of, of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who believed. You see, two times already, by the time you get to chapter 4, the writer has warned his readers against drifting away. There are dire warnings. You've had the experience of going down the road, and you're, you may not realize it, but you're approaching a very dangerous intersection. And the authorities over time have realized that that intersection is very dangerous. And so they put these little uh, uh, knobs in the road long before you get to the intersection to awaken you to the fact that something serious is about to come up. There'll be signs on the, on the side of the road. Stop, stop, stop ahead, stop ahead. They're serious about what's coming ahead. This writer is serious. He's warning these people. And, and uh, he also is warning us about the pitfalls of drifting away. So remember that God has a plan for you that includes heaven, but it also includes earth. What he wants to do in you now. Heed the warnings that he's given us against drifting away. Now here's number three. It's a very practical one. You need to get some rest. You need to get some rest. I mentioned that this term rest has two different meanings. One is the ultimate goal, the promised land. They never entered that rest, the writer says. But there's another side to this term that's more familiar with you and me, and that is the idea of getting rest. God is serious about resting. He really is. Uh, In poetic form, Genesis 1, God... Creates everything in six days, six periods. And then on the seventh day, the writer of Genesis says he rested. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the first four dealt with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with each other. And, and, And the last one of those that deals with God, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, that day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in him, but he rested on the seventh day. God is serious about this rest deal. Uh, It's ironic. We're the most religious nation on earth... But we have forgotten how to rest. Other nations are much better at rest than we Americans are. We feel like we got to work. We got to put the hours in. No time to rest. Only lazy people rest. Well, God wasn't lazy. But God rested, not that he needed it, but he did rest and he commands us to rest. And so does Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. God wants his whole creation to have periods of rest. Do you know that in Leviticus 25, God said this, he says, you farmers, he said, listen up, those of you who are farmers, he says, you can plow and harvest on the first year, the second year, the third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, but on the seventh year, you got to let the land rest. You're not to plow it. You're not to weed it. You're not to plant it. You're not to cultivate it. You're not even to walk on it. You're to let it rest the seventh year. Even the ground, God said, needs rest. (laughs) Now, here's where this comes along with uh, keeping us from drifting. If you don't get enough rest, you're going to be irritable. And if you're irritable, Listen, I've never yet in my life, I'm I'm about to turn 52 in in just a few days. I have yet in my 52 years to see a godly, irritable person. It's just hard to get close to Jesus when you're all stressed out and irritable and frustrated and mad. Yes, I love you, Jesus. Ah. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Get some rest. The writer of Hebrews says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God said, So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet His works have been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Get some rest. So remember God's plan, not only heavenly, but also earthly. Heed the warnings. Number three, get some rest. And number four, be a student of God's word. Be a student of God's word. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Get into the Word. Now, let me give you a caution. Be careful about getting into what somebody else says about the Word. You, You just get into the Word yourself first. And then once you're in the Word, and you've been in the Word, then it's okay to go and see what somebody else has to say. Because what somebody else has to say about the Word, hear this, is not the Word. I can tell you what I think about the Word, but what I say is not the Word. The Word is the Word, God's Word. Get into it. You're not going to understand everything in it. Just resign yourself to that. But over time, God will let you understand what He wants you to understand. And little by little, bit by bit, you'll begin to understand more and more and more and let God speak to you. But get into the Word. Be a student of God's Word. And do me this favor. Go to the Word with a blank slate and let the Word speak truth to you. Now, here's why I say that. Because our tendency, because the Bible in some places is hard to understand, our tendency is to find out what somebody else has to say and we embrace what they say and take what they say with us to the Word and, and because we take what they say with us, it's not that, what they say almost looks like a becomes a cookie cutter. And we, we start only accepting those things in the Bible that match up with the cookie cutter. Throw away the cookie cutter and just open yourself to God's word. I'm not saying never enlist the help of others or never read anything else. I'm not saying that. That will come. But first, just be a student of God's Word. You say, well, I've never really done that. Where do I start? Start with the Psalms. Read a Psalm a day and just reflect on what that Psalm says to you. If you go into the New Testament, I would start with either the Gospel of John or the book of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Because Paul's letter to the Romans just has a, a chronological, systematic, outline of what paul believed first of all there's sin and everybody's sin and sin results in death but chapter 3 4 and 5 but jesus came and he is god's righteousness and he died for us and then there are the benefits of salvation and so forth but start with those be a student of the word well you know i'm a baseball fan and i'm a braves fan And so I was a little bit surprised yesterday when there was, in the middle of the Braves game, an advertisement for Falcons football. (laughs) Now, I love the Falcons, but the advertisement says, football season starts next month. And I couldn't believe it. Here we are in triple digit heat and football season starts next month. It was a Falcons game. Can you imagine going to a Falcons game, and the Falcons offense, Matt Ryan, Michael Turner, they all come together in a huddle, and that's all they ever do. They never break out of the huddle and run a play. They never score a touchdown. They never make a first down. They never get a field goal. Nothing. All they do, they'll come in there huddle together. That's all they ever do. The writer of Hebrews is afraid that his readers and that you and I, who are Christians, will get huddled together and never finish the game. God saves us so that we can go to heaven. Yes, he does. But he also saves us so that we can experience some heaven on earth. And that is what God doesn't want us to miss either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is uh, the moment in a worship service when more than at any other time, life change is made. This is the time when people many times receive you as their Savior. This is the time when people join, officially join a church family. This is the time in an altar of prayer when problems are worked out, when praises are offered, where trials are dealt with and triumphs are given thanks for. This is the place, Lord, where decisions are made that impact eternity. And God, I pray that we would break out of the huddle and move forward to where you call us to go. And that we could carry out your plan for our lives. Lord, I don't know, you know, but I don't know the hearts and minds of people here, not everybody. But I'm not so naive as to think that there is not a person here who doesn't need a change in life. So, Lord, I pray for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.